I wanted to read this quote because it's a, it's a um, really nice, oh, we lost Kim. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Maybe we'll take a little break. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. Peg is me. Don't worry. You didn't lose me. I don't. I don't see you. There you are. Yeah, oh. but I'm turning it off because I'm trying to fix her thing. Um, so you you just go on. I'm 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 here. Okay. Okay. So um, once again, I was talking about um, poetry and. Um, how it communicates. So um, this, this quote that I've got here by uh, this uh, US poet laureate, Dana Gioia, a poem doesn't communicate primarily through ideas. It expresses itself in sound, images, rhythms, and emotions. We experience poems holistically. They speak to us simultaneously through our minds, our hearts, our imaginations, and our physical bodies. So it's the poetry's, poetry's ability to um, engage our, our whole being that makes it such a valuable way of not only thinking about the Dharma, but actually experiencing it. So that's, that's what we're trying to do here. Um, so it's important that when we, that when we, um, read and you know listen to these poems that we do it with the same mindfulness and and openness that we have when we meditate so um i just want to do a reminder of that so and also before we actually start with a poem um what we what we want to do is, is refrain from the analysis, refrain from the interpreting, and instead enter the poem through the doorway of noticing and appreciating. So, um, and as you're listening to it, just uh, go to what you, what you enjoy about it. What do you like about it? instead of focusing on what does it mean? Um, what feels lit up for you? So, okay. So with that, we'll start with, if you have your little packets there, the poem, uh, oh, and also I wanna say that what we'll do is uh, we'll have, we'll go through and each person will read a poem and um, you're not responsible to just talk, well, we'll all talk about the same poem at the same time. You know, just what our, um, what our own, what the impact was on us individually, each of us. And there's no right or wrong in this at all because it's a personal, you know, it's like looking at a painting, you like it or you don't like it, or you like certain parts of it, or it affects you this way or that way. So, um, but what we'll do is we'll read the poem and then we'll sit for 10 minutes and just kind of hold it. So we can just kind of, it's like doing a body scan, just check it in with the body and, 
and seeing what's there, checking in with what's arising. Okay, does that sound okay? All right, so um, would someone like to read the first poem? It's The Listening by William Stafford. Any volunteers? Did you find it? No, I'm finding, I can't find it. It's on what I sent last night. I know, and I'm, oh, you said last night. Yeah, it says Saturday AM talk. It's the page. Okay. If Jane okay. can't find it, I'll be glad to read it. Can you find it, Jane? Yeah, I found it listening, yeah. Yeah. So would one of you like to read? I'll read it. Okay, great. Listening by William Stafford. My father could hear a little animal step or a moth in the dark against the screen. An ever far sound called the listening out into places where the rest of us had never been. More spoke to him from the soft wild night then came to our porch for us on the wind. We would watch him look up in his face, go keen, till the walls of the world flared, widened. My father heard so much that we still stand in waiting the quiet by turning the face, waiting for a time when someone, something in the night will touch us too from that other place. Thank you very much. I love the way you read that. Is having a feeling all over me, you know, this ripple. Anyway, so would anybody like to share? Or we're going to give 10 minutes, right? Okay, so 10 minutes. Just see how that has impacted you. Maybe five minutes.
Okay, um, would somebody like to read it one more time before we start to discuss it? Get another chance, and Kim can hear it. And read it. Thank you. Listening. My father could hear a little animal step or a moth in the dark against the screen. And ever, every far sound called the listening out into places where the rest of us had never been. More spoke to him from the soft wild night than came to our porch for us on the wind. We would watch him look up and his face go keen till the walls of the world flared, widened. My father heard so much that we still stand inviting the quiet by turning the face, waiting for a time when something in the night will touch us too from that other place. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, so um, what's, what are people's experiences of that? What do they like? What does anybody like or dislike about it, like about it preferably? <laughs> what did you notice? I, I have a theory about the poem. Well, let's keep it in the experiential. Well, the experience is that the father is uh, your, your experience yeah this is my experience okay that it, it's, it's well i've been thinking about this and thus 
Uh. And small mind and big mind. And my father kind of being, the, I kept seeing it as the moon or, you know, the ultimate mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, uh, that which is like looking down on all of us. That's how I felt it. Mm. And, um, and watching us, we would, we would watch it. I don't, I think it goes way beyond a particular person. So did you have any sensation uh, during this? Did you like the poem? Well, it was like exploding it outward, kind of a boundless quality to it. Yeah. Um, um, Great. You know, the universe being able to um, hear everything. Yeah. Great. That's excellent. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, Chris. Well, I don't have anything so lofty. <laughs> um, so it completely put me into a place of safety. And the reason is that I grew up in a house that had a screen porch. And on hot summer nights, we would sleep out there. And I don't think it was ever talked about, but I know that I didn't feel entirely safe. You know, I'm talking like six, seven years old. Um, I didn't always feel entirely safe because they were unusual sounds to, compared to what I would hear in a bedroom, um, upstairs in the bedroom. But when my father would come out, it would feel so safe. And then this, and, and I mean, I don't know that I ever thought of it this way, but certainly the experience of the poem and sitting with it was, oh my goodness, you know, that then the sounds could come because there was safety. Um, and I do remember the summer sounds of, you know, unusual animals or something flying into the screen or, um, yeah. So it, it was interesting because to me, it was, it was very grounding and, um, yeah, I didn't go to a place of thinking larger thoughts. It was just, okay. it's your lovely, yeah, it was lovely safety. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, those are there. All of this is great. It's just how it how it affects you. So that's perfect, and I love that. I love that sense of um, the night sounds being a little bit frightening. I feel the same way on my porch, and I'm an adult, <laughs> you know, because the sounds at night. I think about sleeping out there by myself. I don't have anybody else there, so sometimes it's. Yeah, it's a little bit scary. And so and sometimes I have sleep difficulties and um, I will go and sit on our back deck and it's, it is, it's wonderful to sit out at night and hear the sounds of the neighborhood, which you would not normally hear. Yeah, that's a whole different world, right? Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? I had a sense of longing, longing for that, to be in that place where, with that sense of presence that the father had, ah. to be able to 
to be present, to hear that. Yeah. To have that sense of presence. And also the last line really struck me, waiting for a time when something in the night will touch us too from that other place. And I felt that it was familiar. Yeah. I burn a candle the whole night, every night. And sometimes I, I also have sleep problems, Chris. And sometimes I wake up and I feel that, that sense of presence from some other place. Ah, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. That's really great. Um, thank you guys for sharing this way. This is what I'd hoped for. Um, because everybody has their own experience and, and memories and, you know, so this is wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. It had a, it had a powerful effect upon me, but that kind of uh, increased as I heard everybody talk mm -hmm. about, it's amazing how the experience of others impacted my experience of the poem. And I, too, felt a sense of longing, the longing of the poem. It's like interesting right now. You can I'm just I have this. <laughs> you can see where I'm feeling it, right? Right up here. <laughs> right yeah, they just uh, automatically going there above my heart. And I felt a sense of wonder. Um, it actually took me, my experience was um, very nostalgic because it, I felt the experience of my childhood when I was in middle school and we lived on the side of a mountain in Taiwan mm -hmm. and at night. I remember collecting insects, but especially it reminded me truly of my father, mm. who was a difficult person on many levels with other humans. But he experienced such joy in nature. He felt deeply connected to nature, um, that was his home. That's where he saw things that others perhaps didn't see. Um, that's where he was nurtured. And we always had exotic, as I was growing up, we had exotic animals in our <laughs> home. Um, and he had a passion for them in a way that others don't. So there is, it's that, oh, people, different people are touched so differently. And I, I had very much the sensation that I had being in the total darkness at night with, I don't, it doesn't matter who was around me. I don't remember any, being around me, but it was a, a pleasant darkness full of mystery. Mm. Yeah. A darkness that I liked, that I mm. read for. Yeah. 
That's all. Thank you, Lisa. Great. This is wonderful. So um, I guess the, the next question um, that I'd like to ask is, what does this poem have to teach about the Dharma? So this is in relation to your experience, right? So from your experience, I think Kim has already <laughs> gotten there, but it's not like um, that's one way one can look at the poem, but based just, we're just basing our, what we're saying on the experience that we had from the poem. From based on that, how's, uh, um, yeah, what does this poem have to teach about the Dharma for you? How does it reflect or illuminate our own experience of impermanence, for example? Suffering, grief, joy, spaciousness, connection, freedom, whatever. Are you wanting conversation already? Or are we? Would you like a little time to think? Yeah, let's give you a few minutes. I just wondered. Yeah, I, I didn't think of it, but that's probably a good idea. Let's take a couple of minutes. Okay. Does anybody have anything to say how what they, oh yeah, Kim. It, it paints a picture where everything is so, it is all is changing and um, dependent on other things. And it, it's not a fixed like photograph. Mm. But but all this stuff is happening, and and I think it's neat that there's three stanzas because we talk about three as being so important. But that <laughs> that these different things are just all occurring independent of each other or are dependent on each other. Um, uh, it's so active. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. That, that it's not it's it, and that's the idea of thus as opposed to this. Mm -hmm. it's it's like exploding world right yeah yeah thank you for that heard so much you know my father heard so much so much is going on everything is going on yeah yeah it's like a doorway right this the quiet is a doorway to <laughs> it's kind of a contradiction it's paradoxical but the 
and the quiet is kind of a doorway to this whole other world, you know, this whole. Even plural, worlds. <laughs> Just going on and on and Even on. Even what, Kim? Even? Worlds with a plural. Oh, worlds, got you. Yeah. And then also I keep going back to, I mean, you, it's not very uh, Dharma, but, uh, you know, my father and who art in heaven. Oh. But yep. when you hear, when I hear my father, I think of that. Oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. At the same time, to me, it feels very present moment, even yeah. though it's all, um, you know, larger than we can even imagine, and it's all interconnected. It also feels um, like each moment is is very discreet and present um and and the turning something that you just said kim made me think of turning toward that you know that in the dharma we wanted to, oh the face inviting the quiet by turning the face to me is just very much what dharma is you you go into your quiet and you turn toward it you turn toward whatever arises uh -huh. yeah that's great the luminous mirror wisdom <laughs> yeah absolutely and that present the the presence it's a really good point because it's through the it has to be through the present it can't be anything but the present and within that presence is the many universes the whole expansion of everything within that moment the other thing that strikes me is the waiting for a time. I keep trying to work on letting the world come to me rather than, oh. be, um, you know, I keep going out and trying to conquer the world or orchestrate my life or whatever. And so somehow waiting for a time when something in the night will touch us feels more like sitting with the letting the world come. That's beautiful that you're saying that. That was a poem we read last night. Let me see if I've got it in here. Did I take it out, darn it? Find it, but yes. About Where the heck is it? I think I took it out. Three. Which poem? But it was a short one. It was, wasn't a... Oh, allowing it all to come to me. The gata. Yeah, there we go. It's exactly, you're saying the same thing. Should I read it? Sure. Chasing after the world brings chaos. Allowing it all to come to me brings peace. Beautiful. Love that connection. <laughs> okay, anybody else have something to say? Well, I have one more thing, and that is the, the initial well, I'll say thought or feeling, whatever it is, that came to me, like if I said, Lori can do this, or my father can do this, that kind of um, suggests that I can't. So there's some, my father could hear a little animal step, and my immediate thought was, I'm not able to do that. Yeah. I don't know, if, did anyone else have that feeling? 
Did. My father had a special talent that I didn't have. Yes, I yeah. have. Oh, yeah. I um, have. That's why the longing. The longing. Yeah. Longing. Let life come to you. To be aware of life in that way. To be fully present and let it come. Maybe my yeah. father was like a teacher who could do something that I wanted to be able to do. Uh-huh. Yeah, and this this guy is just extraordinary. You know, I mean, he can hear all this stuff. Yeah, that they can't they can't hear. It's extraordinary perception or awareness. Perhaps. Animals kind of have that uh when we look at animals, it seems like they're tuning into stuff that we're not seeing. Oh, absolutely. They're listening out, like yeah. it says the father does. Yeah, their life depends on it, right? Called the listening out into places. Yeah. And supposedly, um, humans have become less capable of doing that, evolutionary, because it's maybe it's less needed. Yeah, and also um, there, I was reading in this the same book that was commenting. That's that's unfortunately seems to be the case, um, Kim, and I. That's a tragedy as far as I'm concerned. Um, but also, as adults, we are not as able to. Um, we don't pay attention as much as kids do. I mean, they notice a lot, and then their imagination goes wild, and they're you know, they just have a heyday with creating things and, you know, really getting into stuff. And we have, those are our teachers, kids, right? Night is wild. <laughs> wild. And that is very dynamic. Like yeah. everything is moving. But so for me, I tend, things tend to come to me in imagery. And so my, my image that came forth with this whole poem is this, um, you know, this vast, dark, emptiness, endless spaciousness of, mm -hmm. of what we conceive of. But you know, when you say space, well, that's really different than spaciousness. Mm -hmm me this feeling of it being something solid well in a way because it's a noun right? to me it's a feeling of expansiveness mm. and that's really what i experienced in this poem and i also experienced it more and more as we were talking and so um the experience of maybe one or two bright stars and an infinite number of small twinkling stars. And that's kind of how things, you know, so I'm being a witness and it takes light years for mm. those stars to travel to us. And it kind of puts me in mind of how 
we're waiting too to be touched by something from another place. That place could be mm, for it to arrive away. But we kind of wait. It reminds me of the little prince too. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the specific words, but that sense of awe and magic yeah. he has about seeing things that other overlook. Mm -hmm. Really, there can be so much joy in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. In that openness, and it reminds me of, what is it, that we can only see as far as the eye of practice allows us. Can you say that again? Uh, you're kind of breaking up a little bit. I can't hear you real well. Yeah. Is this better? My That's a little better. Yeah. A lot better. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we can only see as far as the eye of practice allows. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Along those lines. Yeah. So that's how far as we can see. And part of the joy, I think, is, oh, it's like there's the opportunity for us for more and more to come into our lives as our experience expands mm -hmm. and as our practice expands. And we don't really know what's out there that we might see or we might experience. So there's a piece of mystery. Absolutely. And, yeah, and am I clear now? Because I miss my Bluetooth that's not connecting. Oh yeah, I can, I can hear you. How about the rest of you? Can okay. you hear okay? Okay, so a piece of this that we were referring to, it's not being able to see as much humans. So I remember reading, um, you know, the training of Native peoples from a very early age, children, it's a matter of survival, right? Children learn, depending on their culture, to hear sounds, mm -hmm. to hear, to see things that if you're not trained at an early age, you don't learn that. And there's a music theory of music, uh, the Kodai theory in which children are trained from an early age experientially to hear sounds and tones. And, and it's like language, right? If you, and it's like learning a foreign language or learning to be multilingual. Those things that are learned experientially at an early age can never be experienced in, by, in the same way by an adult. They can be learned, but the embodied experience will always be somewhat different. Yeah, yeah. A lot of levels yeah, that's, that we can unpack. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to add what you were saying, two things to what you were saying. Um, there's an indigenous group and I can't remember where it was. It was a it was on NPR a couple of years ago, several years ago, actually. <clears throat> there was an anthropologist studying a group um, that lived in a forest, jungle, you know, rainforest. And in the rainforest, you can't see very far in this particular place. You, you can't see very far because there's so much vegetation. 
And so these particular people had the capacity somehow to actually see beyond the trees. And this is a training that they started very young. And so this woman was studying it and she was a bit skeptical at first. And over time, quite a bit of time, she learned how to do it. There was something about, and I don't understand it, but, but this is one, of, one example of those, is this training based on your environment that you need to survive and so forth. That is an incredible, incredible thing. Yeah, we have this view that samurais can see behind them. <laughs> it was that luminous mirror. <laughs> Well, and then it, there was the, it, I don't know if any of you saw the exhibit um, that came through Austin uh, a year or so ago. You know, with COVID, I don't know time very well. But anyway, uh, it was an exhibit from, I believe it was Australia. And it was an indigenous group and they were paintings. And a lot of them were, um, monotone colors, you know, like brown and black, and, but they had patterns on them. And um, you look at them initially and they're just, you go, and you know what? But if you sit there and look at them long enough, all of a sudden what appears is they're actually maps and the different colors were like the shadow. If this is in a desert, desert area and so it, they have no landmarks and so what they actually do it's where the cliff goes and there's a shadow here at a certain time of day or there's a um, shadow over here from for maybe a clear tree so you could actually if you looked at it long enough you could actually see that it was a map through the desert where to go so anyway same same sort of thing the training and and using it for survival and communicating this in a very expressive way. They probably combined those skills with smell and sense and air differences and all of those things. They're probably so fine-tuned with so many senses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is great. This poem brought out a lot, yeah? <laughs> That's exciting. Well, uh, do we have anything more to say about this or shall we go on to the next? I just felt stuck when you said related to the Dharma because I don't have enough of Buddhist learning to make any connection. And then it just like was shut weird it how it just shut down. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so, um, so probably let me just give you a, not a Dharma talk, but just give you some of the ideas of what we're um Kim specifically mentioned, um, well, it, it, a lot of the things that people mentioned, and the presence is a part of, is part of the Buddhist tradition, being very, to being present to the here and now. Um, and impermanence, that's one of the most important concepts. Uh, it's part of the Four Noble Truths. Anyway, so impermanence and then the consequent suffering which we didn't see suffering in this one, particularly, except for he wasn't around anymore um, because he's not, because the father's not there anymore, right? But, um, 
And then, uh, you know, spacious is, is another one. This expansiveness is another one. Uh, let's see, I mentioned a few in here when I started. Um, just, just, just their words, their concepts. But the, that's the wonderful thing about this poetry is this brings it out. Um, Interdependent. Interdependence. Interdependence, yeah. That's a good one for me. Yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, very much in there, interconnectedness. So there um, is suffering. I want to throw out, can you hear me now? Yeah. Yeah. I want to throw out, there could be suffering in this poem because of the longing and the desire. So if you were clinging too tightly to that longing and that desire and felt unable to ever attain you know, this, um, this presence that is described, I think it could be a little bit of suffering involved. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll never be able to know this as my father knows it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, both of you, both you and Kim mentioned that. Yeah. And also connection. Connection is an important part of this one too. And I think Chris alluded to this with, the connection with their father, as did Kim. Maybe, maybe, yeah, like going with what Lisa said, uh, see how I can say this. Um, you, in order to feel connection, you have to have disconnection. You have to, the opposite has to occur. So, so the fact that that um, someone can and someone can't kind of creates the suffering. I guess that's what Lisa's saying. It could create a feeling of disconnection. I mean, that feeling of, oh, my father can feel do this and have this experience and separation. Oh, yeah, separation and the rest yeah. of them are just waiting for it to be touched. We haven't been touched in that way yet. So we don't have that connection. Yeah. The back yeah. Of yeah. And also, uh, I don't know if it was Chris or um, Jean that was talking about joy, joy being a part of it. I've forgotten how it was. Chris mentioned, uh, I guess, the joy of uh, feeling safe and all of that with your father. So that's so these are the kinds of themes that, and this is another way of, of thinking of it too, and interconnectedness is thinking of it as um, the experience or the, it is describing an experience of, of um, um, dissolving boundaries. So you think you have the here and now, but actually, woof, look. <laughs> yes. I was waving on that. So all of that, does that help? Yes, yes, a lot. And it's all very familiar. And, you know, I've delved in and out, but it didn't have like uh, being 
absorbed in Christianity for so long, I understand that, like, you use a word and I get everything. Ah, like, yeah. <laughs> Buddhism, I've just moved in and out, dipped my feet, and so it's not like a, you know, it's not yeah. all there. And then I block with words because I don't have the essence. Right. Well, thank you so much for bringing it up because I, I, uh, it's, it's good because we can, we can fill you in on that as we go along, if I haven't said what needed to be said. So you, you're catching, <laughs> catching what we're doing. Okay. So um, I'd like to, what time is it? It's 11 o'clock. We were supposed to end. I think we need to go longer than we're supposed to because we didn't start till late. So um, yeah, so maybe we could, anyway, so let's, Let's do one more poem and we may not be able to, well, let's just do another one and see, because this is too much fun. <laughs> Gosh, I've got so many more poems. We're not gonna be able to do as many as I'd hoped, but that's okay, I like the depth. So um, the second one I have on here um, is on, it's on, probably on your second page. It's stopping by woods on a snowy evening. You're all probably- oh, I love that. With that one. It's an old, Old, probably, probably one of the first poems I remember reading as a child. Yeah. Um, so somebody else like to read that hasn't read the poems poem yet today? I'll read. Okay. Stopping by Woods in the Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. So um, let's have another voice. The two, two renditions right off the bat. I will. Okay, terrific. Stopping by Woods in the Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it's queer to stop without a farm horse, farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds, the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Okay, let's take about a couple minutes, uh, five minutes and, and kind of sit with that one.
Okay, let's, uh, let's again look at this one. What do we notice? Um, what do you like about it? What do you appreciate about this little poem? <clears throat> what do you, what kind of uh, feeling or sensation do you have in the body when, when uh, putting yourself in this poem? being in the woods, the darkest night of the year. I actually have always found this poem kind of sad. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I have great memories uh, also of being in the woods at night and stopping as the snow is falling and it's so quiet and peaceful. So that part is beautiful to me, but he's he's pressured i i don't know it, it feels to me like he's concerned about the person who owns the land thinking that he's just stopping there like he's needing to make a reason but not worried that the person is there and even the horse may think it's queer for him to stop and then he has to go on he you know i mean he, he doesn't it's not much of a pause it's not that he takes the pause, but he doesn't take much of a pause. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else ever feels that way about this poem because it's such a loved poem. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it is. It is sad that he's, I mean, I get the same sense that he's, but I have to keep going. He takes the moment. He's stopped, but he's got to keep going. I don't think that, I mean, I, I've known this poem all my life, but I, and I have a different thought now, but I don't think the I is him. I think it's, it's kind of uh, the awful adult in us that that's, he's, <laughs> he's referring to that. And, you know, like when he says the poem, good fences make good neighbors, that's like a common saying. It's not what he's, he, he's kind of, um, 
he's really advocating for stopping by the woods in a snowy evening and the horse doesn't get it. And, and then he's taking on this persona, but I have promised it to keep, this is what someone might say, but he's not, he's not there. Mm. What's mm. kind of neat is I knew someone who walked in the woods with Robert Frost. Oh. <laughs> so I, I think of that. So how we pressure ourselves. He's, he's cautioning us. Yes. Yes. He's advocating that this is really a cool thing to do, but the horse doesn't get it. And, and, and this is what we say. I have promised to keep, I have to grow up. I can't enjoy this. I can't do things without a purpose, but he really is advocating for that. I like that. Yeah. I, I like that better than what I focus on, which, so I, I focus on this poem somewhat from my head and um, it's, it's a troubling poem to me. It always has been a troubling poem. And it's like, um, so whose woods are these? I think I know. He will not see me stopping to watch his woods fill up with snow. So why are you stopping in somebody else's woods? <laughs> Stop in your own woods. Okay, I'm just be reporting. I'm just reporting. <laughs> I don't want to have these thoughts. I'm just reporting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, if you're in an area where there's a lot of woods, I told you this was heady. Then <laughs> what? Where are you going? Are you the postman? Who is this? Are you delivering um, food to somebody who's trapped in the snow somewhere else? Um, obviously there's a lot of farmhouses, right? You're in an area where there's farmhouses and yet you're stopping. Your horse is confused because there's no farmhouses here. Well, that just implies that usually when you stop, the horse expects a farmhouse. Expects you to be stopping at a farmhouse. Instead, you're stopping in the woods. That also implies you don't usually do this, whoever you are. You know, well, that's are. <laughs> and um, it kind of goes on that the woods are lovely, dark, and, and deep. So, why are you traveling in the woods at night with your little horse? And, you know, if you stop too long, you're both going to get frostbite. <laughs> and so there's a certain sense, you know, if I focus on, I'm sorry about all those little voices. <laughs> I'm getting cold as I'm reading this poem with all these questions. So, I mean, I can take it. I have a hard time getting rid of those little voices. <laughs> the judge. I don't have any toes. If I had my toes, toes would be getting cold. Um, <laughs> you know, miles to go before I sleep. Life is like that. Um, life is like wandering. But does it mean that You've chose, was this a choice to take this route? Did you seek out this desolate path? Or are you, are you lost? Okay. Mm. 
Those are my voices reporting. <laughs> Thank you, voices. <laughs> the owner of the woods is even missing out. He lives in the village. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I think of it in this? Well, it's from New England, right? And so that's the way they're set up. There's a town center. It's still that way today. Well, now it's got more people in it, but they all have, there's a town center and then there's farmland out beyond it. So there's lots of woods that are empty that people, you know, have, or they, yeah. So, so anyway, I, th I think a lot about that. So that's what's going on. So you can, but the road goes by all these woods, you know, as you go into town or go out. I I don't know why. I'm sorry. Did, did I interrupt you? No, go ahead. I'm finished. I really ha always had a hard time with this poem, but never really acknowledged it because it was a love poem and therefore I should have liked it. But <laughs> I, I like to look at snow when I'm inside. I don't like the cold. I hate the wind. I just, I love snow, but as long as I'm warm and safe, but, and also cold is not familiar, was not part of growing up. So that's not familiar to me. And always this poem reminds me of death. Like, mm. you know, uh, like the call of death when it's so hard because snow and cold and uh, dark uh, is a draw. Like they're lovely, dark and deep, you know, to like, I can go in here and, go to sleep, but I have promises to keep. I can't, although it looks seductive, I have promises to keep. I can't end it all because I have stuff I have to do, I'm responsible for. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so interesting that you, that's what you see in it, yeah. I feel that too, Jane, it's, there's a sense of, Heavy responsibility. Yeah, sure. You know, caring. These, these responsibilities of giving yourself the luxury of stopping in the woods briefly. It's kind of our downfall, isn't it? Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so in terms of the Dharma, th this idea of not being present, but but thinking about what we should do, you know, but I have promises to keep. It's kind of a, a, a problem. He's being present. Yeah, but I think, but the original thought of stopping is, is in, you know, offering that, giving himself that opportunity just to, to be in the present of this beautiful scene. Which is like, like the listening in the last poem. Yeah, it's the engagement. It's the action for opening to this beautiful. beautiful. Then I want him to. I want this person to say more about his experience of stopping. He doesn't say a lot about. He leaves it to our imagination. Uh, this experience of stopping, instead of saying, um, "And it was cold, and I was shivering." He does talk about the, the silence indirectly. 
He says the only other sound aside from the harness bells, mm -hmm. the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. So that does give it a sense of gentleness, you know, mm -hmm. where I tend to think this is a bit harsh because, yeah, snow's not familiar. But the next line, too, the woods are lovely, dark, and deep. Yeah, yeah. But, but the, the adult comes in. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me impatient. I just want him to go to the farmhouse, keep the... Horse warm, keep yourself warm, go find comfort. <laughs> so you, oh. you folks who don't know about snow don't know that really you can be in the snow and it is absolutely quiet and peaceful. So peaceful. So especially, lovely. Especially, I know I heard you. I wanted yeah. that experience, but I've never had it. I oh. lived in New York for five years when I just came from India where winter was 65 degrees, the, uh, the uh, uh, coldest winter. And I went to New York and it was, it was excruciatingly difficult to be in the snow. Quite a difference. So one of my favorite things to do growing up was we would go ice skating at night. And so wow. you would hear nothing but the scrape of the skates on the ice. And it was just beautiful. Wow. And we did get frostbite. We did. Because <laughs> we'd stay out too long and it would be too cold and we didn't have good clothing then. But <laughs> I don't take this as a blizzard. I take it as just a really beautiful yes. light. No. Quiet light. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what downy exactly means, downy flake, but easy wind. It's, you know, like with a, a blizzard, you would have a harsh wind. Right. Yeah. It's not harsh. Mm -hmm. But there's a downy, what is it, a, a softener or something? Those big soft flakes oh. that, that sit gently on your skin, you know, the big soft ones. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like powder. It, it is like powder. You know, you, you can, it's light and airy and you can make snow angels in that. <laughs> I've done that more than once. Something else that strikes me through our dialogue that's so related to the Dharma and the teachings is what each person brings to this whole. Yeah. I mean, our life experience, our filters, our conditioning, it's like we interpret life so differently. I mean, yeah. Even turning to meet life with an open heart, we can experience it the way someone else experiences it. Mm -hmm. We can only, you know, have our own fully present, open-hearted experience. And it's like, whoa, all this independent interdependence in just these few minutes, it makes our life so much richer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's what struck me, this sense of gratitude. Gratitude to have these moments where there's expansiveness, but together. you get a glimpse in, together and the glimpse into other people's intimate worldviews. It's interesting, too, though, that all of us 
feel there's some sadness in this poem. There's mm. something that um, it's not all light at all. It's like a yearning in my mind, a yearning to stay but can't. And it's about our, our downfall of being separated from nature and being uh, so busy and thinking about profit and thinking and, about goals. And so concerned about what other people think, like yeah. even what horses yeah. might think. This reminds me of yeah. even the horse, yeah. Yeah. So something that astounded me was so many people saying, oh, I always felt a little uneasy sharing what, how this poem really affected me because it's so loved. And I felt the same way. It's just like, yeah. what people, why? Why is this poem so loved? I mean, I get it and then I don't, but it had, I had, I needed to talk about it. I need, <laughs> you know, I need to be able to say, oh, this poem is kind of weird. They're teaching it to little kids. And what the hell are these kids getting out of it? You know, you know what I mean? Is your, it changes according to where you are in life. Yeah. The meaning really changes. But maybe that's what's loved about it is that it does have such depth. Yeah. And it leaves such an imprint because it has such depth. It does. And fluidity. Mm -hmm. And like you just said, Lisa, that it's, it, it's applicable at whatever developmental stage we might be in life, it can affect us. Well, I noticed that most of us remember this poem. Yeah. There's a lot of poems I do not remember. This one truly stuck in my mind. It stuck with me. Yeah, they, they teach this, like you say, when you're young, I'd learned it before when I was nine. <laughs> and I think maybe I still am, but I think uh, when I read it in the past, that was me and I was fine with that, that, I, that I'm the one who has promises to keep. I can't take time to do this. Hmm. I had a nice conversation with Connie along, or maybe it was on, after Zazen. And she talked about how she was able to go in the woods and walk and not have a, a specific path and just wander in the woods. Oh, yeah. You know, not have a place to go. Uh, and I was so envious of her being able to do that. So what I love about the woods from my own life experience, and maybe it could be applied to riding on a horse in the snow. I love getting lost. I don't mean lost, lost, like, you know, call AP, whatever it is, APB. I mean, wandering lost, meandering lost. Yeah. Not knowing where you are. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I guess you can do that on a horse in the snow too. I mean, maybe you're off the path, maybe you're on the path. There's no getting lost if you don't have a place you're going to. Right. Good point, Kim. So you all reminded me, this is probably not related, but when my son was growing up, we would go, I, on a Saturday, I, we would get in the car and I would, we'd drive out 
where we didn't know where we were. And then I'd have him find our way back. And we always called it Zenning because I'd read Zen and the motorcycle maintenance. So, I mean, even now he's 40, um, but even we'll say, you know, you want to go Zen? <laughs> we drive out and then he finds our way home. Oh, oh that's so great. I love that. Yeah. Long before I was involved with Zen. <laughs> That's great. And it's neat that um, that horses, um, wherever you are in the woods, you can just like let, let the reins loose and the horse will find its way back to the, the um, stable. Mm -hmm. So they really are, uh, they really are like this. They're really focused <laughs> on getting their next meal. <laughs> Dogs are like that too. <laughs> they'll wander a lot, but they want to, they'll get you home. Sons yeah. are like that too. <laughs> the dog that ran away and then it would, I we would go searching all over for it. And when we got home, it would be there waiting for us. So another little piece, now that you're helping me with horse nature, Gives this harness bells a shake to ask if there's some mistake. Because it's like, well, why are you stopping? Exactly. Why are you stopping? There's nothing to eat here. <laughs> there's no sanctuary here. So it also, there's so much by implication in what is present implies what isn't present, which is, I think we can say the purpose. Oh, well, the purpose of us going out from place to place is, you know, I had food and safety at one place and now I'm aiming toward my next stop where there's food and shelter, the horses anyhow. So, wow, the riders, the rider and horse don't have the same purpose. The horse has a purpose. The rider has temporarily, wow, it's just this little gap. This rider, this person has temporarily, when he's stopping with no farmhouse here, has dropped all purpose just briefly. Exactly. And then takes it up again. The horse maybe never, well, let's stop there. I was thinking, or you could say that the snow has a purpose. Oh. Everything has a purpose, maybe. To everything, there is a purpose. And a time, yeah. So, tangent, rabbit hole, warning. I'm listening to Ruth Ozeki's, uh The Book of Form and Emptiness. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, she talks about the snow, the purpose of the snow. All these things in the world are talking, talking in this book about their purpose. So just a teaser in case you <laughs> are tempted to read it. I haven't read that and I would love to. I love her writing. Yeah. 
Thank you for saying that. Okay, well, I think we're going to have to stop there. And let's figure out, give me a moment. We need to figure out. Um... <laughs> okay, so I think if we sit um, for 30 minutes, we'll. Uh, that's good enough. Let's sit for another 30 minutes and then we'll have lunch after that. Okay, thank you so much for your participation.